Hi. Real quickly before today's episode, we started a new podcast. It's really similar to Myths and Legends. But instead of telling stories from folklore, I'm telling stories from classic literature. It's called Fictional. This week, we're starting the story of Dante's Inferno and kind of have way too much fun with a story about a couple of guys walking through hell. If you like Myths and Legends, you'll love Fictional. To subscribe, just search for Fictional wherever you get your podcasts or check out fictional.fm to find a list of places. Oh, and there's yet another content warning this week. There's sex and violence throughout. Nothing really explicit, but check out mythpodcast.com for more info. This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, it's the beginning of Arabian Nights, a massive folklore collection from the Middle East. You might have heard the phrase, it's not you, it's me. But if you're on marriage number 1000, it's definitely you. Stay single for a while and figure out your massive trust issues before dating again. That, and you'll learn how folklore can literally save your life. The creature this week gets in epic aerial battles and fights demons with your fingernails. This is the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 82A, Almost Likely Kill You in the Morning. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. The story this time is the very beginning of a collection called both 1001 Nights and Arabian Nights. We've told a few stories from this collection so far, like those of Sinbad, Aladdin, and Alibaba. In today's story, we'll see why someone spent 1001 Nights telling some of the most famous stories in the world, and the bloody, sketchy road that brought us to this point. But first, we drop in on two brothers, both kings, who hadn't seen each other in a long, long time. King Shazman was so excited. He was going to see his older brother. The famous king, King Shariar, ruled over the Persian Empire. They hadn't seen each other in 10 years. And King Shariar had sent his vizier to invite his brother to Persia. It had been too long. King Shazman made all the preparations in just a few days and was already heading out from the city. But then he remembered something. His wife. Hmm. Seeing as he was leaving on a months-long trip, he should probably say goodbye and, you know, tell her he was leaving. He announced that he would be right back. Entering the palace and ascending the stairs, he heard an odd, rhythmic thumping coming from his wife's bedroom. Oh, King Shazman thought to himself, she must be doing jumping jacks or something. But as he drew nearer, he realized that she was also shouting. Wow, she was really enjoying those jumping jacks. It only grew louder and more intense as he approached the doors. He flung them open and saw that she was not doing jumping jacks at all. This isn't what it looks like, the queen screamed. It looks like you're cheating on me. With a kitchen boy, roared the king. Okay, then it's exactly what it looks like, the queen admitted. But I mean... (laughs) You were about to leave for months and forgot to even think about me until you were already on the road. It's not like we were close, so... King Shazman wailed in rage. This was the most painful day of his life. Then, it became the most painful day of his wife's life. When he pulled out his sword and cut her and her lover in half. The king was in a sour mood. He had given the queen and kitchen boy the burial he thought they deserved by throwing their bodies off the wall and commanding that they rot in a ditch outside the city. Still, 
murdering them hadn't made him feel any better. He felt deeply betrayed by this woman he almost forgot about and was going to leave for months anyway. His terrible mood followed him on his trip to his brother's kingdom, and this time that should have been amazing was tarnished by his late queen. Sharyar, too, could see that his brother was upset, but Shazman didn't want to talk about it. Shazman wasn't eating, he had deep bags under his eyes, and he just shuffled around the palace listlessly. Okay, real quickly, Sharyar and Shazaman are very similar names. So I'm going to call the older brother, King Sharyar, King Ray, and the younger sad brother, King Shazman, King Za. It's obviously not in the original, but seen as they're really brothers and very similar characters, I think it's helpful to draw some distinction between the pair. Okay, so King Za was sad, and his brother tried to coax it out of him, but he didn't really want to talk about it. King Ray thought that the only thing that had changed in Za's life was that Za had come to stay with him, and could only assume that Za didn't like him, so he started to give Za some space. He let Za stay in a usually vacant palace, not far from his own, and when time came for Ray to go on a 10-day hunting trip, he didn't even ask King Za to come along, but instead just left. Za was so wrapped up in his self-pity that he didn't even notice, but preferred to languish around in his very fancy Airbnb. One day, he was looking out off the highest point in the otherwise completely abandoned tower when he saw a retinue coming from his brother's castle. It was the queen and her servants and ladies-in-waiting, probably 20 people in all. King Za sighed and began a long walk down the tower to see what they wanted. He passed by a window overlooking the courtyard on his way down, and that was a really good thing he did. The women with the queen were getting naked in the courtyard. Also, there were some pretty noteworthy additions to about half the women. Half the slaves took off their dresses and shook off wigs to reveal that they were men, and then the group coupled up. That's when King Za realized that they weren't here to see him at all. The queen must have assumed the palace was empty, and that Za had also gone on the hunting trip. The queen's own uh, special friend climbed over the wall to join the group, and they all went at it for the entire morning, took a break for lunch, and then went for the entire afternoon and into the night. King Za learned two things. One, if he was going to continue staying in that palace, he was going to need to get some earplugs, and two, he wasn't the only one who had been hurt by someone he loved. It wasn't just that he had been betrayed and hurt, but that the world was a cold place. He wasn't the only one. He was not alone in his misery. Slowly, he began to feel better. When his brother returned a week later, Za was back to his normal self, and King Ray was elated that his brother had returned. They sat down to dinner and talked. Za finally told Ray about how he had discovered his wife cheating on him with a kitchen boy. King Ray sat back. Wow. He said he was so sorry, but he thought Za was right to have killed the pair. Taking another drink, King Ray said that if it were him, he wouldn't have been able to stop at just his wife. He would have killed hundreds, maybe a thousand women. Oh, King Za said. What, Ray said. Nothing, it just seems like overkill. Literally overkill and some pretty intense foreshadowing, Za said. They paused. So anyway, you were pretty depressed when you came here. What happened to make you feel better? King Ray asked, offhandedly. Hmm? Oh, pff, it was nothing. It was nothing, Zah replied. Seriously, what happened? You're like a different person. King Ray pressed his brother. King Zah was not great at thinking on his feet, and that was obvious. I, uh, I journaled, did some journaling, and, uh, 
Exercised? Exercised. Yeah, that's something people do. Get those endorphins flowing and stuff, Zah said. King Ray narrowed his eyes. Okay, Zah, what actually happened? King Zah took a deep breath. Your wife's cheating on you too with a lot of her slaves and I saw it and it made me feel better because I'm not the only one bad stuff happens to. <gasps> what? King Ray boomed, dropping his cup. Yep, all day, every day while you were gone. Like, dawn till dusk and then past dusk, Zah said. And it's not like, oh, this just happened one time, this huge mistake. It's like very, very thorough and intentional. I mean, the things I saw. And it's not just her. A lot of your concubines were there too. There are like a lot of people in on this. I don't believe you, King Ray said with a threatening look, rising from the table to confront his brother. Okay, I believe you. Can we please stop watching this? King Ray admitted, as he witnessed what King Zah had seen over and over again for a week straight. To keep his brother from striking him that night at dinner, King Zah had come up with a plan, where they would both pretend to leave the city again, and then sneak back in in beggar's clothes, not telling anyone. King Ray had to see for himself, and sure enough, with the king gone, the whole scene resumed in the courtyard of the vacant palace. King Ray had gathered warriors ahead of time, to storm the courtyard in the event that King Zah was telling the truth. But after he saw it, his rage morphed into bitter sorrow. He felt betrayed. He wrapped his cloak around himself and turned to his brother. They had both been betrayed. What was the point of being a king if no one, not even your own wife, respected you? King Ray decided he would not storm the courtyard and kill everyone. He was gonna leave. His chief chamberlain was in charge and he would make a good steward. King Ray announced that they would roam the world, and if he found someone whose misfortune was worse than his own, he would return. If not, he would continue on. King Zah, of course, was welcome to follow him. They wouldn't be kings, but travelers. Brothers. King Zah nodded, and they left through the side exit to start a new life together. weird, right? It seems weird, King Ray said. Yeah, definitely not normal, King Zah replied. And they were right. It wasn't normal. Well, I mean, I don't know how many giant black pillars you see swimming in the ocean, but they saw a giant black pillar moving very purposefully in the ocean toward the beach. Pillars don't do that, right? Ray asked, still confused. Correct, yeah. As far as I know, architectural structures do not swim, Zao replied. Hey, uh, want to go climb a tree and get a better view? Yeah, I would love to hide in a tree with you. This is messed up, King Ray said, as they went to go get a better view slash hide in the foliage. And they were right. Pillars can't normally swim, but surprise, this was no normal pillar. When it reached the shore, it morphed into a giant demon carrying a glass chest with four steel locks. It set the chest down on the beach and unlocked it. A beautiful woman emerged from the chest with, quote, a face like a full moon. The demon said he was tired of keeping her captive and transforming and swimming and stuff, so he had to take a nap. He told her to lay down so he could sleep on her lap. And soon, he was out, snoring loudly as she lay on her back, looking up at the tree line. 
That's when she saw the two kings bravely hiding in the tree. The woman lifted the demon's head by his horns and slipped out from underneath, dropping it hard on the sand. He was a very heavy sleeper, apparently. She walked over to the men hiding in the tree. Come down here, she whispered. No, it's very scary, King Ray replied. Come down here or I wake my husband, she whispered again. Okay, that's more scary, King Ray said, and the pair descended the tree. When they were standing by the clearing, the woman took off her dress, lay down on the ground, and looked at King Ray. Okay, you first. Get to it, she said. What? King Ray said. Yeah. First you, then the other guy. I don't have all day. Wait. You want me to do that, but your husband's right there. And also a hairy three-story tall demon, Ray said. Okay, I get it. Look, I'll make this very easy for you. I'll wake him up if you don't get started right now. So get started, she hissed. And so he did. First it was King Ray, then King Za. When everything was finished, she stood up and got dressed. As she did, she explained that her husband, the demon, wasn't actually her husband. It was more of an informal term. But he was her kidnapper. Years ago, she had been kidnapped on her wedding night. And so she just traveled place to place in this chest and did this sort of stuff occasionally. She liked to get back at him because, really, there was no worse way to travel through the Middle East than by being locked in a chest. Anyway, she told them that it wasn't really any of their business. She was now robbing them. Kind of. Rings. Now, she said, motioning to their fingers. They shook their heads, but she pointed again to her sleeping demon husband. And they were much more amenable to giving up their rings. As they took them off, the woman pulled out a jangling pouch full of 98 other rings. I take rings from all the guys afterwards. It's kind of my thing, she said. Anyway, what are you looking at? We're done here. Move along, she said, motioning to the road. The two kings walked away, confused and enraged, but really not wanting to deal with the woman's husband. She went and lifted the demon's head, setting it back down on her lap, taking a nap herself. When they were out of earshot, King Za turned to King Ray and whispered how they were never talking about that again. But King Ray was deep in thought. He had found it. He had found someone who was worse off than he was. The woman? King Za said. Oh yeah, that's rough. I mean, being kidnapped. No, 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 no. The demon, Ray replied. What? No. No, that's... What? Za said. Yeah, the poor guy has to lay there while the harlot forces guys to do that right next to him. He's a cuckold a hundred times over. Poor guy. Poor guy? King Za said. Okay, so here's the point, and all the way over there is whatever you just said. I'd say you're missing the point, but you're not even on the same continent as the point. Feeling bad for the demon in this situation? I mean, she's no saint, but... Really? King Za asked. Yeah, and you know what? King Ray said. We did it. I think we found the guy who's worse off than me. At least my wife did it when she thought I was out of town. This woman's doing it right next to him. Let's go home, Za. I have some stuff to do. And Ray began walking back toward his kingdom. 
I have a feeling this story is about to take a really dark turn, King Za said. Well, first, yes, you have no idea. And second, it kind of started in a dark place when you cut your wife in half and threw her body in a ditch, so let's not get judgy. We'll see that things absolutely take a very dark turn, but that will be right after this. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. All right, now back to the show. King Ray wiped the blood from his sword. That would have been difficult, only a few weeks ago. But he had some very wrong, very strong opinions on women that had crystallized over the previous three days. When he first arrived at the palace, he told his vizier to go get the queen. She could be found in the courtyard, in the vacant palace, and she must be put to death immediately. Then, the king went to the quarters of his slave girls. They had been told their king was coming, so everyone needed to be in attendance. They put on their mock smiles and greeted him the way he liked, but he didn't return their warmth. He motioned behind him, and the doors were closed. The woman heard the bar on the other side drop, and from the outside, the guards heard the sword slide from the scabbard. There was screaming and weeping and pounding on the door, begging the guards to open it, before it all went silent. When the guards opened the door, the king walked out, covered in blood. One of the guards vomited when he saw the carnage. King Zah had tried to talk his brother out of what happened, but King Ray was the high king, and until Ray returned covered in blood, he didn't think his brother would actually go through with it. King Ray could see that his brother was reticent about his new hobbies, so the younger brother, King Zah, was sent back to his kingdom. And that's when things became so much worse. The king announced that he would marry again, but no one would ever hurt him again. Since he couldn't trust his new wife not to cheat on him, he wouldn't. He would just spend one night with a woman, and then she would die the next day. That evening, he would marry again. People were horrified, but what could they do? He was the king. At first, he started taking the daughters of the princes and nobles but soon saw that that method was an excellent way to have a coup on his hands yesterday, 
So about two days in, he began taking the daughters of the commoners and merchants instead. And they all died. The king didn't even do it himself either. That job fell on his vizier to kill the woman the next day. Over the next few years, 1,000 young women died. And everyone, but presumably the wedding and funeral industries, hated the king, including the vizier, who, CNS's resume now included killing a different innocent person every day, was really getting stressed out. He would go home each night and see his own daughters, about the age the king went for, and he would see the faces of the hundreds of young women who had died by his hands. Then came the news he had been dreading, but it arrived by the person he least expected. His eldest daughter, Scheherazade, came to him, came to him. She said that she wanted to marry the king. Nope, no, no, nope, 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 not happening, the vizier replied, but Scheherazade was resolute. She said she wouldn't be killed by the king, and she had a plan. The vizier looked at her in disbelief. Oh, she had a plan. Well, the king had a body count in the triple digits, so no, the vizier would not be killing his own daughter tomorrow. He had done so many things for this king, but he wouldn't be doing that. Not if he could help it. He told her if she continued, she would end up like the merchant's wife and launched into a story. We're not going to go too far into it, but there was once a merchant who could understand the speech of animals, but he couldn't tell anyone or he would drop dead. He overheard the donkey trying to trick the ox one day and talked to his plowman, so the donkey was stuck with all the ox's work as well as his own. Laughing and returning home, his wife wanted to know what was so funny, but of course, he couldn't tell her that he'd just overheard the donkey getting what he deserved, because then he'd immediately drop dead. But his wife wouldn't let it go, demanding that he tell her. He dug in, and she dug in, and soon it was just this whole thing. He called his parents and children to get his will in order for his death, in preparation to tell the world his secret. But it was the animals that ultimately saved him. Their cunning solution? They just told the man to lock his wife in a room and beat her with an oak stick until she didn't want to know the answer to why he was laughing. And he did that. Because folk tales are horrifying. Okay, just next time save us a few pages and just say you'll beat me with a stick, Scheherazade said to the vizier. But stick beating or no, I am still doing it, dad. Trust me, you won't have to kill me tomorrow. You won't have to kill anyone ever again. I can do this. The vizier knew Scheherazade was smart. She knew poetry, history, and the maxims of all the great sages and kings. She'd studied medicine, philosophy, literature, and read more books than the vizier even knew existed. She had the kind of intellect that only came around once in a generation. If anyone could save herself and all the others, Scheherazade could. Besides, he couldn't lock her in a room and beat her. And even if he did, she'd still find some way to outsmart him. She'd been doing it since she was a child. He sighed. She was going to marry the king anyway. He might as well get on board with her plan. Wait, are you sure? King Ray asked, sitting up on his throne. Buddy, I'm going to level with you. I'm pretty unhinged at this point. But even I know that it's a pretty big deal for you to give up your daughter. You do know that I'm going to command you to kill her tomorrow, right? The vizier said that she had demanded to spend the night with the king. Even if it meant death, the king shrugged. That, at least, was a nice change of pace from all the sobbing and screaming. He told the vizier to bring his daughter to the king's chambers that evening. 
Scheherazade, the king's most recent wife, was weeping. But not for the reason you'd think. The king stopped kissing her, sitting up and saying that he thought the weeping wasn't going to be a thing with her. She said she knew that she was going to die tomorrow. That's something she had accepted. But she never got to say goodbye to her sister. Could she? The king looked at her. Right now? <sighs> yep, I'll send for her. The sister said a tearful goodbye, and the king offered for the sister, Dinarzad, to sleep in the same room as the newly married couple. Dinarzad accepted and found a place to sleep, but then the king resumed what they had been doing. With Dinarzad right there in the room, when everything was finished, Dinarzad, the younger sister, cleared her throat and spoke up. Hey, so, that was weird, but I can't sleep. Hey, sis, mind telling one of your stories? Dinarzad turned to the king, and said that Scheherazade told the best stories. She must know a thousand of them. The king shrugged. Yeah. Who didn't want to hear a story? Scheherazade smiled. Her plan was falling into place. She started her first story, that of the merchant and the demon. There was once a rich merchant. He had lots of wives, kids, and money, and one day he had to leave on a business trip. So he loaded up his saddlebags with bread and dates, the only two foods people ever need, and rode his horse to another country. On his return, he stopped and found an orchard. Sitting by a spring under a walnut tree, he enjoyed his 20th straight meal of bread and dates. As he ate, he tossed the date pits onto the grass. When his meal was over, he said his prayers, but when he opened his eyes, he saw an old demon standing over him. You, get up. I'm going to kill you like you just killed my son, the demon shrieked, holding the sword to the merchant's throat. The merchant rose and asked the demon what crime he had committed. The demon was confused. He had just said that the merchant killed his son. And who killed your son? The merchant replied. You did, the demon screamed. No, I didn't, the merchant asserted. Yes, you did, the demon insisted. He was walking along and you just crushed him with a date pit. You murdered him. What? How tiny was your son? The merchant asked. Very. But that's beside the point. He was a growing boy. I mean, it was slow, but he's not going to be growing anymore because you killed him. So now I'm going to kill you, the demon shouted, moving closer. The merchant began to grasp the gravity of the situation and began weeping, praying, and begging the demon for mercy. To which the demon replied, I'm a demon. No, and the creature raised the sword above his head to bring it down and behead the merchant for his crimes and Shahrazad, Dinarazad, and King Ray heard a noise at the front of the chambers. King Ray was surprised to see that it was morning. Shahrazad stood up from the bed and turned to the king. Oh, well, it looks like we won't get a chance to finish our story, king. It's been great being married to you. Good luck with the next wife. Dinarazad, it's been fun. Goodbye forever. She turned to the servants, who were there with spears and ready for a fight after the last 1,000 or so women, and told them that if they just wanted to direct her to her dad, the vizier, then she'd just die and get out of everyone's hair. The king shot up. Wait, what happened to the merchant? Shahrazad said it was a great story, but they didn't have time for it. On account of her dying today. It's really good though. A lot of unexpected twists and turns. Great supporting characters, compelling protagonist. Bummer the story would die with her. 
The king paused, and just before she left the room, he uttered a single word. Wait. Does Shahrazad live? What happens to the merchant? Why did the demon have such a tiny son? You'll get answers to two of those questions on the next episode. Because I'm going to pull a Shahrazad and continue the story next time. The stakes are a bit lower for me though. I should say that for the last story of the demon and the merchant, you'll find it mostly called the genie and the merchant. And I've read that it's a genie or more specifically an ifrit, which is usually covered in fire and evil compared to the more neutral, sometimes wish-granting genies. The translation I used called him a demon, and it seems like the most accurate way to describe him. But remember, like seemingly everything in folklore, it's not as simple as it sounds. In lieu of other announcements, please just go check out Fictional. Dante is waiting to tell you all about his terrible work trip. To subscribe on Apple Podcasts, go to apple.fictional.fm. On Stitcher, go to stitcher.fictional.fm. And on Google Play, go to google.fictional.fm. And if you like the new podcast, share it with a friend. The creature this week is the Asa Zusta from Persian folklore. It's a bird that's associated with Zoroastrianism, and it's one that you're going to want to have around because it recites holy scripture and scares away demons, so you don't have to worry about them turning into pillars and throwing you into glass chests for the worst crews imaginable. They're most often identified with owls, and if you're cutting your fingernails, you're definitely going to want to sweep up the little pile and dedicate it to the Asa Zusta because, as we've all encountered, your fingernail clippings can be stolen by demons and weaponized. The Ace Azusta takes the fingernail clippings and blesses them so they can't be used against you. Even with it constantly reciting Zoroastrian scripture, I would pay so much money to see a pet owl stop, pick up fingernail clippings, and then fly outside to have an epic aerial battle using said clippings as improvised throwing stars. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to Loot Crate for sponsoring us this week. Loot Crate has an epic range of pop culture items, all for less than $20 a month. It is the best surprise you know is coming, and September's Loot Crate theme is robotic, with items from Star Wars, Star Trek, Aliens, and Blade Runner. One lucky subscriber will also win a mega crate of seriously epic proportions. Subscribe at the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to receive this month's crate. Go to lootcrate.com legends and enter my code legends to save $3 on any new subscription. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 